Welcome. Uh, and a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody uh, who's listening today. Uh, welcome to our kind of pod. My name is Brandon Boyd. I'm your host, joined by my co-host, Michael Stanton. If you want to know a little bit about us, I'm more of a Bud Light guy, and he's a Coors Light guy, and that is reflected in what we have on our hands right now. And I say that only because like, I do have the Bud Light, but I'm actually definitely more of a Coors Light person. Yeah, I'm. when it comes to light beer, I have, um, over the last few years, grown to like Coors Light, but I will also go with a Rainier, but those are probably my one, two, uh, Coors Light and Rainier and simply Rainier strictly because of the affiliation to Seattle. I love Rainier. I don't consider that a light beer in my mind because really, yeah, just because to me, like light beer is, is like the water category, like Coors Light, Bud Light. I don't like Rainier is just one step removed in that, in that I can't, I can't drink it in the same way that I can the other ones. Oh, interesting. See, I certainly like have it in the same category. Um, but I also didn't really drink much Coors Light in college or anything. It was mostly Rainier. Whereas no, maybe <laughs> No, it wasn't. You know exactly what you were drinking in there. Well, Bud Light Platinum as well. But uh <laughs> but I think I think as the real workhorse uh beer, it was it was it really kind of set the foundation was Rainier. Yeah, I was I had like a Stockholm syndrome relationship with um Keystone Light in in college. Like oh, Lord. it was it was just fine. Like that was totally fine and that you make the the deal with yourself of like yeah, the cost savings are worth it. Um I don't key, there's a reason Keystone Light just doesn't it doesn't show up anymore. Like Coors Light yeah. you, you'll see it at weddings and stuff like that. Uh Keystone Light no, that is not. I don't think yeah, I don't think I've ever had Keystone Light or I can't remember having it. Um same can I mean I probably have same could be said about bush light. I know that some of those like that's a WSU little more bush common. light was yeah. like water there, but um, no Western, I feel like was uh, at least in my friend group was mostly Rainier as the main light beer, quote unquote, light beer of choice. Well, I'll tell you what, um, last night as I was watching UW play Auburn basketball, I wish I had about 400 cores lights yes. to be able to cope with what I saw. So you were there for that. What were the vibes in Alaska Airlines Arena last night uh, as Auburn was shooting about 90% from the field in the second half? Yeah, uh, pretty bad. They were poor. Um, but because seemingly it wasn't the majority, but there were so many Auburn fans there. Uh, if you were just like, you know, had your eyes closed and walked in, you'd probably think it was the vibes are pretty high based on the volume, but it was coming from the wrong colored fans. The, the orange clad fans, unfortunately. Unbelievable how bad things are for Husky basketball. And it's true. There is this truth of like Husky basketball and Husky football have never been good at the same time. Like it just can't happen. There's yeah. not <laughs> like Husky basketball was peaking as Husky football was in the absolute shitter Cratering. in the two thousands. And then uh, the ascendancy that, you know, football has experienced the last five or six years has come at the expense of some terrible basketball uh, that we are currently witnessing. So, yeah, not great there. But um, we are here to talk about much more exciting news for the Husky football program. There's uh, guys coming back, new recruits, a fun game coming up next week in exactly seven days. Basically, seven days on the dot. Uh, It'll kick off in uh, 13 minutes from now in seven days. That'll be fun. Uh, But I want to do a quick check on AlamoBowlMerch.com because yesterday when I was there, um, there were only two uh, limited edition uh, Alamo Bowl footballs available left. They were down to two, and I wanted to check that stock right now. So I'm literally uh, refreshing the page and going to go down. (laughs) 
are you in the market for one of these or what's no the... no no i would never buy any of this oh, stuff uh <laughs> oh <laughs> something has happened because now there's only three left so wow someone gave theirs back or they found another <laughs> one uh but if you want your 60 dollars 2022 valero alamo bowl full-size football um one of those classic you know uh, on a shelf footballs with half of it is white and half of it is leather for $60 uh, act now because there are only three left or you could just fill up your gas tank and you know, that would be much more useful, but yeah, that's um, equal, equal amount of patronage to Valero. Yes. The, the yes. <laughs> I, I forgot about that, but yes, they're very true. <laughs> the oil mag- magnate that uh, sponsors this bowl game. Um, so new, lots of news, lots of names to, to mention here. We're going to start in the category of uh, returnees. So last time we talked, we were, I'm kind of in shock that Michael Penix had just uh, decided to return to Husky football next year. And I think him doing that first was obviously intentional and um, something that had could have had downstream effects. And I think that we're seeing them both in the guys returning and also in the transfer portal. So in order of them happening, we had Braylon Trice and Zion Tupuola Fatui return announcing that they would be returning next year. Those are your two pass rushers uh, two most prolific pass rushers returning to next year's team. Uh, they did that at the same time, which is pretty cool that they are basically a, a package duo here to fuck shit up for one more year. Then we had Troy Fountaineau, who is the uh, left tackle who filled in for Jackson Kirkland at the beginning of the year and then was so good that he just stayed there at left tackle. He was returning. He had such a good season that like he went from nobody to like a, an actual NFL draft prospect. Then today we had the news that Jalen McMillan would be returning, um, which is fantastic because he uh, was amazing this year despite not making a Pac-12 an all Pac-12 team um, and so the Huskies are just waiting on Roma Dunze as the last name on the on the market to return um, it, it I had thought that because Trice and ZTF had returned at the same time that Jalen and Rome who seem very tight we're going to do that as well I don't know if that means anything or if it's just taking longer but um, that is the situation there's also Rome was like pictured at bowl practice so I don't know what's going on I kind of expect or, you know, I would guess that he's coming back, but just don't know yet. Yeah, I think the first thing to talk about here is even if he it, he does enter the NFL draft, uh, it has been said by, I believe, himself that uh, he will be playing in the bowl game. So we wouldn't hear oh, anything of that nature until after the bowl game. But that being said, I, I think everything seems to point to him returning for various reasons. One, kind of the peer pressure of, you know, everybody else who is potentially going to the NFL is returning, um, has already announced they're returning, the people we just mentioned. Um, also, the NFL draft wide receiver pool is pretty deep this upcoming year, as far as I understand. Um, I think another year in this Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb uh, scheme, along with, you know, wide receiver coach Marcus Shepard could do a lot for Roma Dunze, who probably wouldn't be a first round pick this year, but um, has, you know, if he stayed another year has, you know, a decent shot to, mm-hmm. you know, move up into that echelon of wide receivers, uh, draft picks next year. So I think there's obviously, especially with NIL becoming a factor, um, nowadays in college football, I think there's a lot of reasons to stay one more year. Um, and I frankly expected at this point that he will. We kind of talked about this with Penix of like, you almost need to start the year on draft radars to really get to the top. Like it, it seems, it seems impossible for somebody to just com- come completely out of nowhere and become a first round pick. Like people have to know who you are. And this is the year that Roma Dunes and Jalen McMillan and uh, Michael Penix, like let people know who they are 
And then in theory, if they come back next year, then they would start as like guys to watch as potential NFL draft picks. And then the seasons that they would have would only build on that, hopefully. Um, but, you know, if, to each his own, he wants to do that. By all means, go go ahead and do it. He's awesome. He's going to be good no matter if it's this year sure. or next year. Um, so we'll just see on that with uh, with Roma Dunze. In transfer world, we'll just go beat by beat here. The I want to start with this guy from Sioux Falls State, the alma mater of uh, head coach Kalen DeBoer. Had to be like a you know third cousin situation here. Uh, but this is Zach Durfee, who was a, I guess, high school quarterback and basketball player yeah. who became a like psychotic 12 sack all uh like all conference guy um as a pass rusher so zach durfee who knows what if it's going to translate but kind of a spicy prospect here yeah this is this is zach durfee out of sioux falls which is you know the alma mater of kalen DeBoer and also the school in which he won three naia championship national championships at um durfee had 28 tackles 13 and a half tackles for a loss uh 11 and a half sacks like you mentioned and two forced fumbles in his first year ever playing defense so um that's pretty incredible uh i understand that this is division two so this is below fbs and fcs so obviously a little bit of a different product but i think you know for your first season playing on defense and um being able to register those type of numbers is pretty impressive regardless of what level you're playing at uh, he will have three years to play three, and uh, he just add, adds some, you know, nice depth and um, length at that in that edge position. So um, I don't think he will necessarily factor in in starting minutes. I mean, we have other or starting time. We have other pretty solid backups even behind Braylon Trice and ZTF, but certainly someone to look for, you know, as to contribute in the future. And we've had a lot of under the radar guys in recent years um develop into something great you know we weren't really thinking anything of ztf we weren't really thinking much of the likes of like joe tryon or braylon trice when they came in um yeah they were they were like i don't know three-star recruits or whatever so uh that's better than than this zach durfee kid but it's not like we were expecting them to come in and immediately make an impact and they eventually did so you never know with these type of players the uh lost arizona state earlier in this year, which was uh, confounding for so many reasons, may have borne fruit and given us at least two positive outcomes in the way of uh, Daniel Nada, who is a running back transfer from Arizona State, and then also Joe Moore. Daniel Nada is the younger brother of Ariel Nada. And if you are a fan of this podcast long enough, you might remember uh, me singing Where Are You Nada to the tune of Where Are You Christmas? <laughs> because we couldn't figure out why Ariel Nada wasn't playing like five years ago. And uh, we still never got an answer for that, but now his brother's here. So whatever. And then Joe Moore um, from Arizona State, uh, you look at his stats and things like that. Nothing really pops out. He's he's like a three-star defensive end prospect from like Missouri, um, who's transferred yep. after a couple of years uh, to for, at Arizona State. But this year, he was the only guy to hit Michael Penix three times in a game. So uh, he had enough enough to beat the very good Husky offensive line three times. And I'm sure that that uh, tape stood out to the coaching staff as they were looking at Joe Moore in the transfer portal. Yeah, yeah, that clearly was like, oh, this this is probably somebody we should yeah. pursue if he's if he's doing this against us. Um, yeah, Moore finished with 24 tackles, four tackles for loss, two stacks, and a forced fumble for the Forks in his redshirt freshman season this year. He will have three years to play three as far as 
Nata. I've heard Ngata as well. I frankly mm. don't know the correct pronunciation. Um, he played in 26 of 28 possible games for ASU over the past two seasons, accumulating 689 yards, six touchdowns on 136 carries. So he will probably factor into that running back room um, uh, probably as in the top three rotation. Um, but he will have three years to play or three years to play two. So um, some great depth additions to both of those rooms. I'm pretty excited about that. And, you know, that's Pac-12 uh, Power 5 experience in both of them. So we have the return of Ariel Nada's brother. We have the return of Jeremy Bernard to uh, to yes. Hus- Husky, to the Washington roster, where he was briefly on when he had signed with the University of Washington, but then uh, uh, was allowed, or I guess left because of the coaching change last year and then ended up signing at Michigan State. Uh, we've course beat, beat the shit out of Michigan State, who <laughs> seems to be uh, in a, a program um, in in shambles right now. Well, not in shambles, but just had a, had a rough year, um, and is definitely <laughs> figuring out exactly how good of a coach Mel Tucker is. But anyways, Jeremy Bernard said, "No, thank you. I will go have my uh, or go back to what I thought I wanted in the beginning um, and transfer back to UW." So that's cool. I mean, he was a big deal. He was a, a very good. Yeah uh prep product out of uh bishop gorman right in vegas no liberty actually liberty but the other the other big high school down there still a vegas kid um yep so yeah i mean that's roma dunze and him both out of vegas and both um both you know can both dudes so happy to have him in the room yeah he was our number one commitment last year last year in the 2022 recruiting cycle um you mentioned it, but it was kind of interesting. He actually was on campus at UW in January for about 48 hours. <laughs> he had already signed his LOI and everything. And then um, because of the Jimmy Lake coaching change to Cam DeBoer, that allowed him to break that LOI and eventually transfer to Michigan State. Um, it, it is interesting in that he did come to UW and signed, signed his LOI after Jimmy Lake got fired. So um, he did all that with, with Kalen DeBoer. I believe Kalen DeBoer was in, was the head coach at that point. So it's kind of interesting that he went through those steps knowing Kalen DeBoer was a coach and then changed his mind after the fact. Um, but that being said, excited to have him back on the roster. Um, you'll probably see a lot more production than in him and this offense versus Michigan state. He only had seven receptions for 128 yards this season. He did have two touchdowns for the Spartans appearing in all 12 games. So appearing in all 12 games, only getting seven receptions for a guy rated that highly you'd expect a little bit more there. So I think this is probably a better fit for him. And I believe he has four years to play three, although I'd highly doubt he ever uses a red shirt season. I uh, I applaud you for saying the four years to say three to play three as if anyone <laughs> expects or knows that that, that that's yeah. actually going to be the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean that's <laughs> techni- technically true, I guess. Uh, so welcome back, Jeremy. And then the one that came in today in transfer world was uh, Jabbar Muhammad, who was a kind of out of nowhere. I had not even heard this guy being out there, uh, but a cornerback transfer from Oklahoma State was a honorable mention all uh, all all Big Twelve guy this year. Um, guy that PFF seems to like. I think this is a guy that like he's he's gonna start at corner next year, pretty much undeniably. And I think uh, for him, for someone of his caliber to transfer to Washington, that would probably be a promise that has been made to him. Yeah, this is probably who will fill in for the uh, departure of Jordan Perryman after this season. He appeared in 
Um, I think every game for the Pokes, he had 48 tackles, nine passes defended, and one interception. What's interesting about those nine passes defended is uh, UW's leader, UW le- leaders in that category this season were Dom Hampton and Tuli, Tuli Gossanoa, each having four. So he more than uh, doubled that. Um, so clearly he was a factor in uh, making life hard for QBs in the Big 12 and he will have three years to play too. Nice. Um, all right. So I think that does it for transfers, unless I missed anybody. You missed a few. Uh, Raylan Goforth, <laughs> oh, linebacker yeah, yeah. Yep. from USC, uh, 40 games under his belt for the Trojans across the last four seasons. Um, he's protected to play weak inside linebacker, uh, w- the spot that, that Eddie Ulafoscio plays. So I don't think... If I had to guess, I don't think he would will start, but he will definitely see playing time. Um, he only has one season left of eligibility, so um, we'll only have him for a season. But um, someone who's had a lot of experience at the Power 5 level, um, the Trojans' defense was not that great. It was technically, statistically speaking, worse than UW this year, and they were arguably a worse tackling defense. So... That's something to keep in mind with him to temper expectations a bit, but yeah. the dude can definitely lay the wood. Um, if you remember that huge hit on Cam Rising in the Pac-12 championship game, that was him. Um, so that's another person to to keep an eye on in the transfer news. And then there's also Josh Cuevas, tight end out of Cal Poly, who had over 600 receiving yards and six touchdowns for the Mustangs this season. He had a decent amount of offers uh, in the transfer portal uh, coming from Oklahoma State, Michigan, Missouri, Illinois, Utah, and ASU. Um, What's interesting is we don't, as of now, we haven't lost anybody in the tight end room. So uh, I don't know how he will fit in or what type of playing time he will actually earn. So that'll be an interesting battle to monitor going into the, uh, the coming season. But yeah, you have Devin Cole, Jack Westover, Quentin Moore, plus Ryan Otten, who's coming out of off of red shirt uh, this path this this season. So um, that's a that's a pretty decent room, experienced room, uh, something to keep an eye on. And then just one last quick one here: Thaddeus Dixon, cornerback mm-hmm. out of Long Beach City J- Junior College, adds depth in that defensive back room. Preseason Junior College All American selection, he finished. His sophomore season this year with 42 tackles and three interceptions, along with four passes defended. And he's also voted first team all league. So, um, frankly, I don't know how that translates, how JC translates to FBS and to power five. So I'm not sure uh, how much burn he will get. But uh, that's a corner was obviously a position that we were very shallow in depth this year. So, you know, anybody, anybody at this point, I'll take. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for uh, cleaning up my my mess and finishing the dinner plate there that uh, I had left without Cuevas. Cuevas is actually a guy I want to talk about because he yeah. looks a little freaky, like 6'5", yeah. uh, 245, and can run. I mean, for a, a tight end to average 12 yards a, a catch along a 42, like as a freshman, this is, you know, it's Cal Poly, sure, but like this is something. And kind of in the, the Zach Durfee mold of like, you know, this is athlete trying to figure out a position for, um, you know, he's, he's 6'5", 240. Like, is this like, kind of a receiver situation like i don't know but it's it's exciting and um i'm not sure that the huskies have that they have good tight ends who are like versatile guys but um a guy like cuevas who's like just a you know a pure receiver is a, a spicy addition to the room 
And just really interesting. First of all, Cal Poly is in the Big Sky. Big Sky is one of the best. It's it's either first, it's either the best or second best conference in FCS. So you know he's going up against deep, pretty good competition at that level. Uh, I am on the Cal Poly Wiki, football Wikipedia page, and I am just now noticing that they have just promoted their offensive line and run game coordinating coach to be their new head coach next season. And that is Mr. Paul Wolf. No way. Formerly of WS head coach at WSU of how the, how very the, bad WSU teams. How the mighty so had fallen. Crazy. Yeah, seriously. Being a power the, five head coach to being an offensive line coach at a big sky school. Cal Poly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, so anyways, that's that's crazy. Not but the yeah, excited for Cuevas. Not the last time we'll talk about a former Wazoo coach here on this podcast. Uh, stay tuned for that. Let's talk about the uh, the the eighteen year olds, the actual high school recruits. <laughs> that um, this used to be the whole thing. It's just like just yeah. caring about these kids, and um, now they're it almost feels secondary to transfers just because of how much transfers can impact right away. But anyways, uh, Huskies I think still had a very positive uh, recruiting class, especially relative to last year, which is kind of just a ragtag squad. Um, so we had Caleb Presley was the big flip yesterday, cornerback from uh, Rainier Beach who had been committed to Oregon and kind of flirting with Washington. And uh, I think he was there for the Michigan state game um, as, as an official visit and then ended up flipping back to wash or not back to flipping to Washington yesterday. Uh, so he kind of headlines the class and then there's four or five guys uh, that supplement him as well. And you can read off the names there, but I'll start with Curly Reed just because hell yeah, we've got him Curly on the team and he's from Louisiana. I kind of yeah. in the, kind of in the cam bright mold of like, how did this happen? Uh, I'm not going to yeah. ask any questions, but Great to see you. Yeah, and honestly, Curly isn't even the best first name in this recruiting class. All uh, there's a kid named uh, Diesel Gordon out of yeah. Arlington, Texas, three-star corner. That's a pretty awesome name. But uh, yeah, Curly Reed. He's out of Lake Charles in Louisiana, four-star corner. Um, again, he will add great depth, and I think he will factor into some playing time he'll certainly i would think see four games at least this coming season along with caleb presley so it's great that our top two um recruits in this 2023 class are at corner which is easily the the most you know necessary position to to fill after this season and what we saw in that department um this is a class that signed 19 players yesterday uh, there's a 20th that is committed in Tayshawn Lyons, four-star wide receiver out of Hayward, California. Um, he has not signed his LOI, but it sounds like he will be doing so in the February signing period. I've heard or I've read from Christian Capel of The Athletic that he is a still a solid commit to UW and, and should sign in February. But as we know, these things are, you know, who knows? Because money, money is now a factor. So who knows if anybody will come in and try to flip him? But something to keep an eye on there. Um, Rashid Williams out of Pittsburgh, California, another four-star wide receiver. I think Pittsburgh is where Darrell Daniels went to high school. So you are correct. That's kind yep. of interesting connection there. But um, another addition to a, an already packed wide receiver room. And then lastly, uh, the last person I want to mention here is Vince Holmes out of San Jacinto in California. He's listed as an athlete on 247, but he's projected as a safety for us. Um, so we ranked, according to 247 Sports, as the 30th overall class with a composite ranking, which means they aggregate 
rankings of multiple uh, recruiting websites, um, we came in at 27 in that ranking. So I think all in all, pretty solid um, recruiting class. Usually success, you know, we'll success on the football field. We'll see that translate into success in the recruiting department a, a year or two later. And so I would anticipate us, you know, hopefully bettering that, that ranking uh, in the coming, you know, year or two. That being said, I think we need to note that stars and rankings don't ultimately matter a whole lot. We've seen this, you know, play out so many times where a two-star, three-star becomes some, you know, huge contributors. So I just want to kind of set that footnote there when we talk about stars. This is a, not just uh, Curly Reed, not just um, some of the names you've mentioned here, but uh, this is a great name class. There's a there's a Tybo, Tybo Rogers. Yep, uh, Leroy. running back. Leroy, Leroy Bryant from uh, Fairfield, California. And then there's Alinius Davis from, from yep. Minnesota. Uh, this is, this is great. Lots of, uh, lots of fun to be had on top of diesel Gordon there. Um, so yeah, good class. And, and, you know, this... Wait, one more, one more, we need to talk about Zach Henning, the offensive tackle from Colorado eating <laughs> yeah, we pancakes. Well, in his... we never, we never saw him eat them, but well, yeah, two plates stacked full of pancakes. This is, uh, this so is I a, really enjoyed that. This is an 18-year-old offensive line prospect who did his uh, recruiter or did his commitment video saying that he was about to surf up some pancakes playing for the Huskies, which is great. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, we don't know if he ate them, or I did say that, but, like, this is an 18-year-old offensive line yeah. prospect. You know he ate them. For sure. <laughs> There's, yeah. like, 40 pancakes in front of him. A 6'6", 275-pound 18-year-old. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> like, ate those. He's like, great, this will be perfect before breakfast. <laughs> Uh, yeah. signing day is weird because like they used to send in, uh, faxes and now it's just like a digital signature type of situation, which is great. Like it should be that, but also like this early signing period, it used to be in, we used to all these, you know, letter of intent used to be signed in February. Now there's an early signing period in December. So like our class is basically done. Um, we don't really have any extra scholarships to throw around yet. There's still technically a signing period in February. So it kind of takes away the some of yeah. the buildup and craziness that is the February signing period. But I kind of like it because the last couple of years we've known like 95% of our class going into it. Yeah, and there's still some opportunity for for more uh, fun stuff on top of that. Um, one, I guess, L that the Huskies took in the recruiting space was losing uh, Lyndon Lincoln, Lyndon Lincoln. Lincoln. Lincoln Keenholz of, uh, of the, somewhere in the Dakotas to uh, a, a quarterback prospect to the Ohio State University. Uh, he received the offer. He went out there for the Ohio State Michigan game, uh, had been committed to UW for a really long time, and then uh, flipped to Ohio State. Uh, this morning, uh, there was a video that came out that said that he basically he wanted to go to Ohio State so he could get developed to play in the NFL, but that uh, he could have made more money going to university of Washington. And I don't know, it just feels, feels weird to be like that. That It's usually the opposite pitch when it comes to the yeah. It's like, we've never been the money school and now we're the money school, I guess. Yeah. I also like, I understand that this is Ohio state, but I also kind of, first yeah. of all, I find it hard to believe that Ohio, we have more NIL opportunity than Ohio state, but uh, maybe that's because we were coveting Lincoln Keenholz a bit more than, Ohio State was. This was clearly not Ohio State's first, you know, choice when it comes to a quarterback in the 2023 class. Um, so, so that was interesting to hear that we had a better NIL offer, nonetheless. 
Um, also, I question whether he can get better development at Ohio State versus uh, UW, given what we've seen in this offense with Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb. Um, Ohio State has a somewhat newish, youngish um, QB coach. I think he's only 30 years old, but whereas Grubb's been, you know, in this industry for decades. But then again, it is Ohio State. So I can't blame the kid for going there. Um, this is the unfortunate reality of recruiting in the NIL era, whereas we have been in on on this kid uh, for, you know, probably since sometime in 2021, offered him in April of 2022. He committed in June of this year. Um, and then he noted in that tweet, that video that you just referenced, that uh, Ohio State didn't really even contact him until October. So we're talking about a kid who's been committed to UW for months at that point. Um, it's unfortunate. I don't know. I, I frankly would be surprised if he even sees a starting job with them, just given how talented that QB room is. He is not the the highest rated QB in that room at all um, at Ohio state, but you know, then again, he might prove us all wrong. So yeah. Um, wish them the best. And I think we're okay without taking QB in this class. We still have Dylan Morris and Sam Heward as of now as backups. So I think we are okay um, moving forward with what we have currently. This is the same program that Joe Burrow transferred out of despite being an Ohio native. Like, you yeah, know, this, this is like, I don't know. It's just a stylistic choice. Like Joe like... Burrow couldn't break through. <laughs> Quinn Ewers as well, yeah. who were going to be playing in, uh, for Texas. You know, he wasn't able to, or he transferred out of there too. He was the number one overall recruit, like, what is it, one or two years ago, two years ago. So, yeah, I, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'd be surprised if this kid does make it. But, you know, if he does, more power to him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he looks like an awesome player. Like it's, he's, I want him to do yeah. well. It's just an odd situation. Uh, two other Pac-12 things before we talk about Mike Leach passing away. Uh, go Beavs, man. They, they beat the Florida Gators 30 to three, just thoroughly outclass them. And not in like a, our guys are bigger and better than your guys. Cause that's not the case with Oregon state. It's just, they wanted to be there uh, in a different way than, than Florida did. And Florida had to kick a field goal very late in that game to make it 30 to three. Otherwise Oregon state was going to shut them out. Uh, which is which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I unfortunately missed that one. I was I don't know. Oh, I, I watched zero percent of oh, it. But yeah, nice. I, was, I was driving, but um, yeah, I was happy to see see the results. Yeah, huge fan of that of that outcome. Um, we are, as as some of you may know, we are kind of like secondary beefs fans on this podcast. So mm. um, it's always believe, nice to see them. Get I believe the, the credit. This was the third ten win season in Oregon State history uh, that they just pulled off. So, and good. we've talked about in recent weeks, how close they were to winning all of their losses. Yeah. So hundred percent, like what could have been basically, yeah. if they had just one decent quarterback, they would have been so good this year. I know. Yeah. It'll, it'll happen for, for them and yeah. they'll be, they'll be I scary. So. Uh, the other bit is that uh, Washington state lost to Fresno state in their bowl game, the Jimmy Kimmel bowl. Um, same kind of thing. I don't really have the specs of what happened in the game other than I saw a video of Jay Kaner, uh, eating an apple afterwards as kind of like a, this is my apple cup moment. And, uh, that's just adorable, man. Jay Kaner has basically every reason to hate the university of Washington. And instead he tried to transfer here, <laughs> couldn't do it. And then, uh, is still thinking about us as he beats the Cougs. So good shit, Jake. 
Yeah, he's he's exhausted his eligibility, right? Like this was his last season, or is well, he he's back? he's exhausted, man. That guy has played forever. <laughs> yeah, he's played forever. He's hurt, probably, and, yeah, too. gotten his ass kicked a lot. Um, so I I don't know if he has any eligibility, but I think I think he is done. Yes, I'm I'm looking it up, but I would be amazed if he's coming back for another year. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not quick enough on the draw here, so we'll have to move on. Yeah, we'll just but, we'll just assume that yeah, Jake Jake Hanner, big we're a big fan. Fading into the college football ether. Yeah, senior. Yeah, I think he's I think this is it. So what a what a what a uh, career. What him. a career. To uh turning the page here to a more somber note, uh that Mike Leach, former head coach of um uh, many, many schools, power, power, power five schools, Texas Tech, Washington State, um, and uh at Mississippi State passed away last week at 62. It was kind of odd. Um, you know, just how some of these things happen of like, all of a sudden Mike Leach is very sick and it's like, this is the internet in 2022. And it's like, I remember when little Wayne was very sick and you know, it's like, what does that even mean? And then it's like, no, he had a heart attack. Like this is, this is not looking good. Um, and then the news came that he's passed away and it's kind of, uh, been, uh, an interesting time for people to reflect on his career and, uh, what he meant to college football and him as the person and him as the coach. And now uh, that's kind of a, you know, conflicting thing. So, um, you know, I've got my own thoughts on this, but curious, Stan, what uh, what came to mind for you when um, you're thinking about the life and legacy of Mike Leach? Well, you can't look past the fact that Mike Leach was just a mass had a massive impact on the game of football over the last 30 or so years. You know, the air raid offense, which he and um, I'm blanking how mummy yep. um, somewhat developed together um, back at, I believe it was Iowa Wesleyan has changed the football landscape at least from an offensive standpoint um you know more so than i think a lot of people realize um at all levels not just oh, yeah. you know college but we're talking nfl high school etc um and then on top of that the amount of people that have come you know that have are from his coaching tree like dave aranda baylor head coach uh sunny dykes tcu head coach josh heupel tennessee head coach dana holgerson houston head coach cliff kingsbury who is doing this at, at the nfl using these same concepts that he learned from mike leach when he was at texas tech lincoln riley and the list goes on so the impact that mike leach had on football as a sport um is huge that being said he was his authentic self, you know, the entire time, which is great in some aspects and in other aspects that can be a bit um, grating on people. And I would even admit it was on myself. I think there's, yeah. you know, multiple points where he could have carried himself in a, you know, a more professional, respectable manner. But that being said, um, I would rather someone be authentic than be the opposite of that. So um, that's, Basically, all I got to say, he was he was a massive coach, a massive loss, and um, there will be no one else like the guy ever again. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, two things came to mind. I've uh, it's very similar thoughts um, in a lot of this, uh, but two things came to mind as you were talking. One, just the influence on football. Um, I mean, my my high school uh, football's offense for the entire time I was in offense, it's the same thing anymore. But it it was the air raid, like that's what they did to the point where when it was time to take a knee in in our high school football games. Uh, the, it was out of the shotgun. Like that was, that was what they did. Like it was, there was no other way to do it. That was how they were programmed. Um, and then you were talking about all the, all the, the coaching tree that, that he has, that Mike Leach has extended and thinking about what that has extended to in a quarterback tree and, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, Kyler Murray, 
uh, Baker Mayfield, like, you know, uh, say what you want about their, whatever their careers are. But I mean, with Mahomes, it, it speaks to itself of just like, this is opening up the passing game has opened up this whole other world of football. Um, we're seeing it with Caleb Williams now as an extension of Lincoln Riley. And it's like Jalen hurts, you know, it, it, like this, it just goes on forever. And it's all these guys that can go on and be traced back to, to Mike Leach um, and, and what he was doing and, and what the air raid was the person I have a good friend from uh, my, my teaching days. Um, his name is Sam Schilling, and he's a, a uh, he's a football coach. He's like a very very astute student of football. Loves to talk shop. Um, coaches um, high school himself, and uh, was a big fan of Mike Leach and 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 the 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 principles of that he had. And uh, when I texted him about it and just said, you know, this is a huge loss, and you know how you how you doing? Because he you know big fan of his. You know, he described him as an American original, and how you said of being him, his authentic self, like. A lot of our coaches in anything that we, any sport that we're fans of are boring. Like Kalen DeBoer is boring. Chris Peterson is boring, or at least their public personas are boring. Even Sark, like Sark has his issues. Sark is boring. Like you put a microphone in front of him. It is going to be cookie cutter, uh, boilerplate stuff. And And there's reason to do that. Let's be fair. hundred percent. It's not, it's not because they're just lame dudes. It's just like, that's a choice that they make to just, you know, conform and make that makes their life easier. And like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just the way, the way to navigate the system. And that probably gets you farther and makes more friends and less enemies. And like, it's, 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 it's probably smart. Mike Leach didn't care about any of that. He brought something different, um, something that was jarring, something that was exactly who he was all of the time. And who he was made you uncomfortable sometimes. The, the the treatment of players dating back to the infamous incident at Texas Tech where he, um, you know, had a, a, a concussed player stay in a, a shed for a period of time and then lied about it and then or didn't lied about it but wouldn't apologize for it. Uh, on not apologizing for that on spreading misinformation online of of, of uh, Dr. Obama clips on the vaccine like he had things to say that that bothered you and made you feel sure. really angry. Uh, but you would be stupid also to think that Mike Leach is the only college football coach who shares those opinions. And we might be even stupid to think that the majority of college football coaches wouldn't hold similar beliefs. But the difference is, is that Mike Leach would tell you and there, he, w- he would show you exactly who he was. And as you said, um, that authenticity at the end of the day, when you lose somebody, you realize how refreshing that is and how um, that is like, that that's kind of a, a, a an admirable trait in a way because it's so rare that we get that from people. Um, Mike Leach, the coach, he was complicated. His football was very simple, right? When you talk, yeah. when when you hear him talk, it's not even about the passing. It's the ability to do it well and to have success with it. If Mike Leach thought that you could run the ball every single play and get success, he would do it. He just it's figured repetition, out repetition, perfecting the simple things via repetition. Hundred percent. It was a couple formations, a few plays, a few concepts drilled to perfection, done repetitively over time. That was going to work. It was predictable. Jimmy Lake told us as much. Uh, it was effective though, and it was the, it ultimately became the bedrock of offensive football. Um, things like I said, the shotgun, off option routes, uh, running against light boxes, um, audibles at the line of scrimmage, things like that that we see all the time now. The proliferation of the passing game, like. It's not all Mike Leach, but a lot of it is Mike Leach, man. And like from the, you know, he's, he's got his, his tendrils all over college football now into the NFL, all over high school football. Um, I highly encourage anybody to try and read Spencer Hall, 
uh, EDS, EDSBS on Twitter, his, uh, his obituary for Mike Leach, um, was some of the most powerful sports writing I've ever read. Um, and it was like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking in my head right now, but he's just way better at writing it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just really well said that kind of encapsulated everything I tried to say here. And similar to what you said there of like, this is a very, very complicated dude who, um, who, you know, he made football what it is today and a more exciting game and in ways that you wouldn't even really realize until he's gone and you have to think about it. Yeah. Complicated is a good way to put it, but the impact is, I think, somewhat immeasurable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Indelible. And the pirate is such a, 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 a perfect uh, symbol for what he was, you know, just a, just not, pirates did terrible shit. Didn't you know? give a shit. <laughs> yeah. But they were out there, you know, and, and uh, blazing a new trail and, and doing, different things um because the the normal way was was not good enough for him and that's you know that was that was what made him him so rest in peace mike leach condolences to uh his family and uh everyone who's uh more closely impacted by his death than obviously you and i were but um the, the, a, a titan of college football for to be sure yep let's get into some texas conversation because we do play them next week and what i it, i don't know how you feel i'm excited for this bowl game like this is, yeah. this is a great matchup um, a good litmus test for the huskies here uh, so you're going to tell us what is texas good at and bad at uh broadly like what are their strengths um and weaknesses i mean honestly they're pretty solid all around um they have a pretty solid offense and a pretty solid defense um they are missing probably their it's not probably it is their best player and B. John Robinson, the running back who won the Doak Walker award this year, which is awarded to the best running back in the country. He is, has declared for the draft and they're also out without their second running back in Rashawn Johnson, who is skipping the bowl game to also prepare for the draft. So this leaves a huge hole in the running back department. Um, it looks like redshirt freshman, Jonathan Brooks and junior, uh, Alan Robinson, I hope I'm pronouncing his first name correctly, uh, will combine for the majority of the carries in this one. They have together put up 41 carries for 238 yards a season. You could also see freshman Jaden Blue uh, get some carries as a third running back for them. Um, so a lot of this will be put on the shoulders of Quinn Ewers and the passing attack. And I mentioned Quinn Ewers previously mm-hmm. in this podcast, uh, formerly of Ohio State, although I don't believe he he really ever played for them, if not just for a few snaps. Um, he was the number one rated overall player in, I think, the 2021 recruiting class. Maybe it was, yeah, it was 2021 because 2022 was Travis Hunter. Um, but Ewers has kind of struggled as of late. He's been unable to get over 200 passing yards in each of his last four games. And he's combined for only two passing touchdowns during that span while being sacked seven times, five of which occurred in their most recent game versus Baylor. Um, so he's been inconsistent this year, although he has dealt with some injuries. Um, but his main targets to keep note of are wide receiver Xavier Worthy, who has over 650 receiving yards and nine touchdowns this season, along with Jordan Whittington, who has done um, a little over 600 in the receiving department as well. And then first team all Big 12 tight end Jatavion Sanders, who uh, amassed 577 yards and five touchdowns. So those are the three to keep an eye on. Um, and then as for their defense, one of the players to keep an eye on is linebacker Jalen Ford, who led the team with 109 tackles. They are without their second leading tackler and linebacker DeMarvion Overshone, who is um, preparing for the draft as well. But based on just the statistics I've seen, um, they are pretty decent. Like we're talking top 30 defense, um, which we certainly can't 
you know, say that no. we are. So, um, but then again, who knows if any defense can stop this offense of ours? Um, not many have this season. So um, that might not, you know, we'll see what happens, but I still back our offense, you know, putting up big numbers against these guys. Um, I think it should be a pretty evenly matched game um, that there's no reason why the Huskies can't win this game. Um, and it's on a national stage against a national uh, nationally known program. So I think this is kind of everything you'd really want as a Husky fan. That's a great opportunity. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, the Huskies have obviously, as we recounted, a lot more players opting into this game than the than Texas, who has a lot of players opting out um, on Bijan. Like, you know, the Vince McMahon video meme where it's like, he was special. And he's, yeah. he's, he's like crying that yeah. that is like Bijan. B, I'm kind of upset that we didn't get to see Bijan because like, he is damn good. Uh, like, like, he is going to um, get drafted very highly in the NFL. And uh, yep. that is hard to do as a running back these days because he's that good and he can catch. Um, so it's too bad that he won't be playing in this game, but obviously benefits the Huskies because it's the the like true game breaker on that team uh, that you no longer have to prepare for. Although Xavier Worthy is uh, also that dude. Also a Fresno kid. Didn't know that. I didn't know where he was from. Ah. Um, hmm. But yeah, he went to uh, not the same school as Jalen Millen, but Texas kind of profiles similar to Utah. They're definitely not as physical as Utah is. Obviously, what we just saw uh, with Utah against USC, where they're trying to tear like the eyeballs out of the Trojans. <laughs> like that's not Texas. It never will be. Um, but just in terms of like kind of piecing together an offense, really efficient, not turning the ball over. Um, Cam Rising and Quinn Ewers are kind of similar players, not just in hair. Like they both long hairs. You'll see Quinn Ewers has the whole mullet thing going on. Uh, but just like very a lot of shotgun a lot of like um easy routes getting guys schemed open throwing into buckets uh that's what Quinn Ewers does very well Quinn Ewers like you're gonna see him and be like are you like do you care right now he just kind of has that like air about him like he's only kind of going at 60 percent. but I think he's the just, Robinson Cano yeah a little bit kinda, like he's, yeah. but like fo football's really easy for him you can tell um he's yeah. like yeah so it's just kind of he's a funny guy to watch because he's super talented um but like it's like kind of just always wanting a little bit more out of him. Uh, yeah. But you'll see a lot of different formations from Texas, kind of that Sark staple of like, you know, um, a lot of bunch formations, a lot of like crowded backfields, three tight ends, like you'll see it all. So um, this will be fun and a good test for the Husky defense, um, who has not really answered a lot of the tests that have been thrown to them. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you said of uh, being excited for this game and uh, looking forward to the, the test that the Huskies have in front of them. A week from today. The one thing we haven't mentioned with Texas is who uh, coaches them, which is Steve Sarkeesian, yeah. who is um, a former University of Washington head coach um, who, you know, had kind of a complicated, not as not really that complicated in my view, at least. But um, in, by the end of things had really engendered a lot of enemies or people who were frustrated with him as a head coach, um, which is kind of odd to me, or at least and I'm kind of tipping my hand here at this question, which is what do you think of when you think of Sark's legacy at UW. So I'll let you take that one uh, first. Well, I think the complicated stuff mostly happened after. Well, it, some things might have been behind the scenes that we're not privy to, but yeah. I think most of the complicated stuff happened after with him, after he moved to USC. Uh, that being said, I have pretty much only gratitude for Steve Sarkeesian uh, with his time at UW. I mean, you got to remember, this is a guy who inherited an 0-12 Tyrone Willingham team from the season prior in 2009. 
Um, and immediately he went five and seven, including, I think in game three, we beat number three rated USC. Uh, we, we actually reached the, the top 25 that season entering at 24 at one point. And then he managed to, you know, rip off four straight winning seasons, three straight seven and sixes, and then a nine and four. And he was ranked in pretty much all those seasons. So, um, from a team that went one and 10, two and nine, five and seven, four, nine and oh, and 12 in the previous five years under Tyrone Willingham, the fact that he was able to take over and immediately install a new winning culture. Um, I think, you know, it, I would be hard pressed to think of a better situation than that. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing a 10 and two first year team in Kalen DeBoer. So obviously there might be some better options there, but man, if you told me at going into that first season, we'd be five and seven after going zero and nine with a, a top five win, I would sign up for that all day. So um, yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, I thank him for what he did for UW because I think you could argue that, some of the success that Chris Peterson then have had between 2014 to 2019 uh, was due to the foundation that Sarkeesian and um, and his staff built. Actually, I would I wouldn't even say you could. I would say you have to give him credit for that foundation. Well, not only that, I don't know if Chris Peterson would have taken like if the Husky program had you know stagnated or really not yeah got gotten back to what it even close to it should it what it could be and should be. I don't know if it's an appealing job for Chris Peterson, you know, at that point. Agreed. And so, yep. um, you know, just kind of the timing of it, if Chris Peterson was ready to leave Boise um, and take the extra step and, and the vacancy opened up because of Sark taking the USC job, like left it in very good hands and it just worked out. And obviously the Jimmy Lake hiatus, but now here we are, like things worked out very well. And I think we have Sark, uh, you know, at least in some part to, to blame or to, to thank for that. Uh, I'm hundred percent with you. I have nothing but gratitude for that and for for rescuing this program, bringing one of the happiest days of my life um, in 2009, yep. that day in September, rushing the field. Um, definitely probably the happiest at like that point in my life, like that nothing cool had happened <laughs> beyond that. Um, yeah, so it's like a 16-year-old. That would, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would check out. That was yeah. pretty cool. Um, you know, lots of cool stuff has happened since then. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he did, you know, we came to find out that he had some demons and was going through some things that were probably sure. going to weigh him down no matter where he was, if it was at USC or UW um, or Alabama or Texas or the Atlanta Falcons, like he had to get through that first and he did. And, you know, I, I, it seems like he did. And now he is at Texas and I wish him the best um, starting <laughs> in September of next season. And uh, I hope that, sure. uh, uh, we get in the business in, in this game, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to look back on. It's like, wait, people don't like Sark. Like what, what is the, like, yes, he, di he didn't win the big game. He never beat Oregon, um, but he, you know, took care of business for the most part against Wazoo. Um, you know, he, he kind of just restored like the Huskies win the games that they should, which is like, they were so far away from that before he took the job. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing at a time. Um, and yes, do, if you, yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask, do we know what our record is against him? Now, you know, we played against him <laughs> at, when he was at USC, like as a head coach, that is. It's just 0-1, right? We, or, no, I thought or, we were 1-0. We, 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 we only played him once? Yeah, I think so. I think it was the, uh, the Friday night. Uh, yeah, Black, I know Black. we. I know for a fact we beat him the first opportunity, which was awesome. I think that was the only opportunity. I think he was only at USC for one year. I so, think you're right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean that was that was a, a bizarre, um, bizarre game for sure. The Huskies didn't play very well, but we we're able to do it because USC couldn't move the ball at all. Um, so yeah, well, I mean 
wish Sark the best, but not yet. Uh, that that starts starts in a little bit. To the Alamo because um, this is the eponymous, uh, uh, you know, part of this game that this is based off of. This is in San Antonio, which is where the Alamo was. So in this segment, I'm going to give you a little bit of a synopsis um, on the history of the Alamo, what it is just at at a glance, and then uh, getting to some college football analogies uh, to end this in a a very silly space. So the Alamo, um, you know, it's kind of this, at least from like- yeah, you have to. Uh, from a from like a Disney-fied like way, like kind of you know just American history lore around it is like this um, seminal kind of battle that happened and in, in the obviously the border of America and, and Mexico and like it's this really important event, but we don't really remember why. So I kind of dug into it. What it was, the the Alamo, is about 100 or so people from the Republic of Texas had hunkered down in a Spanish mission uh, that belonged to to Mexico that it was in modern-day San Antonio. So they were in this mission, um, which has a different name, but um, is now referred to as the Alamo. They were fighting for and hunkering down there in Mexican territory, fighting for, as anyone would fight for in the 1830s, slavery. Obviously, that's what they cared about. That's what they were focused on. They wanted to maintain Texas's right to import slaves and to have them. So there's that little happy anecdote about all of this to be okay. to not be forgotten with this. They lost the Battle of the Alamo because they hunkered down there and General Santa Ana of Mexico brought about a thousand troops around them and basically slaughtered everyone that was in there, took no prisoners, was very brutal. Uh, that inspired the Texans in their uh, ongoing efforts to fight for their independence in a subsequent wa- battle, hence the phrase, remember the Alamo, because that was used to inspire the Texan soldiers uh, to remember what the Mexican soldiers did to them and uh, fight harder and beat them, which they ultimately did. So that is where remember the Alamo comes down, okay. and it's the symbol of uh, Mexican and Texas, the uh, sp- the Mexican-Texas war uh, and kind of this, you know, major victory that ended up happening for Texas. So that's that's the backstory there. Ultimately, what the Alamo is is a story of slavery and a story of revenge. So it's like, what are the analogies there? The first thing that I thought of was the Geno Smith. They wrote me off. I didn't. I didn't write back. Quote. I mean, that's that's kind of what this is. Of just like this was you lost once, uh, but you ended up winning down the road. So it reminded me of like what it's these situations where teams get to play a team that they had already lost in that same or lost to in that same year, which okay. if, we're, if we're talking about the Huskies and Bulls certainly brings us back to 2010 when the Huskies got our ass kicked by Nebraska 56-21 in Seattle uh, and then ground them to a pulp in the bowl game a few months later, 19-7 um, and what ended up being the first uh, bowl win in quite some time in Sark's career there's not the that's not the only time that's ever happened. There's an amazing Wikipedia page called List of College Football Postseason Games that were rematches of regular season games. That is the full oh, title no of the whole thing. <laughs> In this, okay. it's happened 23 times. There's, there's the first paragraph of this page says there appears to be a clear advantage in a bowl game rematch for the team that lost in the regular season as the regular season losers have a record of 16 and seven in postseason games. And in five of the losses, the margin of for the team that won twice was smaller the second time. It has never happened in the Alamo Bowl. There's never been a rematch of the of a of a, a previous uh, game in the season in the Alamo Bowl, but it's happened in several other bowls. The funniest one ever happened in the 2016 
part of Dallas Bowl, which literally involves army. <laughs> so going back to this theme of <laughs> of war in in uh, the Alamo here, what happened was army lost to North Texas 35 to 16 in October. The uh, army had seven turnovers. It's just this nightmare game. Uh, army ends up going. Uh, I think they went uh, seven and five their regular season. They ended up losing or uh, finishing the year uh, beating Navy. So they they in this long 14 year uh, losing streak against Navy, they're going bowling. They know that they're going bowling. North Texas goes five and seven. So it, Army's like, great. We're not going to see those fuckers again. Like we, we, <laughs> we don't have to play them, but there were not enough bowl eligible teams. So North Texas was selected to go to the heart of Dallas bowl because of their academic progress report scores. Seth, oh, La- hell yeah. Seth Luttrell <laughs> coach of then coach of North Texas says, we're fortunate to have the opportunity at the end of the day. We didn't even feel like we could get in this way, but we did. And so we're going to take it. So they play army for a second time. The game goes into overtime. Army's like, are you kidding me? We're about to lose these guys again. Ends <laughs> up winning at the start of overtime. There's a rumor that head coach, Jeff Munkin of Army says to his team, remember the Alamo. That's not true. He didn't say that. Not to my knowledge, at least. <laughs> but that would have been amazing. Um, so there's that in so Dallas. That, yeah. There's been this has happened 23 times, I guess. And uh there's also last year, Georgia lost to, to Alabama in the SEC championship game and then ended up beating them in the national championship. So this has happened a few times um in recent years. There's also the Alabama LSU game from a few years ago where LSU beat Alabama in the regular season and then they played again in the national championship. Um, so it happens and uh yeah it's uh there's there's the alamo lives on through these random rematches that happen from time to time well in a in a 20 year hiatus way or 21 year hiatus we did play texas and lost to them in the 2001 holiday bowl so this is a very long you know long coming rematch uh I'm yeah. reading the Wikipedia because I can't remember the details of that, but it says we were up by 14, 16 points going into the fourth quarter. And we ended up losing by four. Um, they have scored us 27 to seven in the fourth quarter. So um, perhaps maybe, or hopefully some revenge here for that 2001 loss in the Culligan holiday bowl um, <laughs> for us Huskies. That also looks like included a 38 yard, Pick six by defensive tackle Tank Johnson, which is wild to me. So, um, yeah, I, I like that that uh, that revenge factor. You know, twenty years later, coming into play here. Hopefully, man, that's such a rabbit hole that you said that because uh, the quarterback of that Texas team that beat us in two thousand one, yeah, Major Applewhite, he's yep. the offensive coordinator for South Alabama, who lost yesterday. 44 to 23 in no the, way the rnl carriers bowl so yeah full circle there Go figure yeah wow <sighs> so remember the alamo remember remember that army beat north texas the second time. remember major applewhite and what he did to us <laughs> yeah <laughs> imagine kaylin devore says that on next thursday afternoon of like You've got to do this for what they did for what major two score in 21 days ago, major Appleway. <laughs> Good God. What was the, what was the, the sponsor of that, that bowl game? Culligan. Couldn't even tell you what it is. C-U-L-L-I-G-A-N. Holiday bowl, 2001. Culligan. Mike Tarico, Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreet were on the call. Wow. Lee Corso on a call. That's a interesting one. What the hell was Culligan? Who knows? <laughs> Culligan's like a Culligan became Valero. It was just a oh, it's a water yeah. treat water treatment. 
based in Rosemont, Illinois. <laughs> the the hard hitting facts that we need to list out. Yeah, you can tell this is the end of the podcast here. Uh, and the other <laughs> signal to that is that we are getting into our uh, great cat and OKG segment. So, uh, do you have any a cats? Any cats besides Husky basketball? Because that was that was mine. Yeah, that is that is a good one. I and do have a great cat. I, di- dying, uh, dying, festering cat. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, my only great cat this week is just the current landscape of recruiting and NIL. And not, I, I'm totally on board with players making money. It's more so that there are no rules and guardrails that yeah. have been implemented by the NCAA. So it's just kind of like a free for all. And there's a lot of like pulling the rug at it from under, under, te- you know, smaller teams by bigger teams. I just wish there were some rules implemented around it. So it was a bit more civil than what it currently is. This is kind of the first full cycle that we've gone through with this new NIL situation, or at least last year, if I can't remember exactly when it was implemented, but it was like, I feel like this is the first legit cycle that we've gone through. So there's been a lot of some sort of like horror stories I've heard of just smaller teams getting shafted for, you know, because bigger teams uh, throwing around more money. So I hope, yeah, I hope this new NCAA president can uh, figure it out, but I will expect that to not be happening just because no. it's the NCAA. No, he's there to make everybody more money and yep. eat, eat a bunch of shit for them. Uh, that's unfortunately the job there. Uh, okay, G, I have um, me for that Alamo segment. I was pretty proud of the research Hell on yeah. that one. Uh, but then also yesterday when Caleb Presley committed on uh, some 247 Sports YouTube show, uh, we were watching <laughs> long enough to see this guy. I'll, I'll put the audio of it at the very end of this uh, episode. Uh, but just see this random, nameless dude. Who we need ho- to figure out who it is. By the way, it's just some host on this stupid show talking about recruits. Um, the camera pans to him. They're like, "Let's go to our set in I don't know, <laughs> Rosemont, Illinois." And he and it, <laughs> the first thing you see is this guy in the end of the end of the the thing just go looking at his laptop and just whisper. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that starts the segment and then everyone's just like, okay. And keeps going. They're not even there. like going to him. It's no. just like, they're transitioning from a different studio, like to them. And he's just like hot miking. I'm guessing he's like a huge Miami fan and they just picked up some like four star and that's what he was responding yeah. to. But <laughs> it really does look like he was, uh, someone sent him a naughty message right before this, the segment started. He might, uh, he might have a feature in ASMR. Who knows? Recruiting ASMR. Maybe? It's burned in my brain. I know that. <laughs> yeah, you're scarred for it. Yeah. Um, my OKGs have two, which kind of go hand in hand, but just the dudes that have decided to come back for another season, just seeing the potential in this 2023 UW team. Um, I think that's pretty cool. And just the coaching staff for putting together a pretty solid recruiting class, especially um, the transfers that they brought in. I think 2023 is setting up to be a very exciting year. Um, I obviously want to kind of guard myself with expectations because, you know, the Jimmy Lake season, we were going into that feeling or we were feeling pretty good about Jimmy Lake and then it all blew up in our face, but, Mm -hmm. um, something feels different about this. So, uh, really excited for next season, regardless of what happens in this bowl game. Yeah. At some point we will have to do the, uh, look at the schedule next year. Cause that's a little scary, but, um, yeah, not, not because of like the whole, yeah, it's just like, there's just a lot of good teams and yeah, we wouldn't have to play Colorado. A lot of good w- possible wins, though. Imagine so. me saying that a month ago that we are stoked to not have to play Colorado next year. Like, yeah, so- what world are we living in? <laughs> yeah, life comes at you fast. Um, yeah. So to that, I say, 
Oh yeah. And I have, uh, hopefully, <laughs> those are my two words. I don't know if you have any two words that you'd like to end. Uh, I do. Uh, go dogs. Boom. Beautiful. Okay. Well, uh, happy holidays, everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll, I don't think we're definitely not talking before Texas. We'll uh, recap that game and maybe look forward a little bit um, after that, probably in 2023. So we won't hear from you or you won't hear from us before then. Uh, but uh, yeah, Stan said, go dogs and we'll see you soon.